The scripture reading for the today comes from Genesis 37, 1 through 4, and then 12 verses to 12 to 28. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his father, with his brothers. He was the helper to the sons of Bela and Sapla, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was a son of his old age. And he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. The man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams." But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he might rescue out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with the camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to them and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So um, when I was growing up, both of my parents worked. So my sister and I would find our summer schedule was based on whatever kind of childcare my mom and dad could piece together to get them by until school started again. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with that. We would usually spend a couple of weeks at a day camp. I was never into overnight camp. We would spend maybe a couple of weeks in Ohio visiting our grandparents. And usually a few weeks would be spent at home with one of our grandmothers who watched us while they stayed for a long visit. Now my mother's mother, Grandma Ham, she loved her soap operas. She watched all of the CBS soaps, and we would watch them with her. I'm not sure if I should admit that or not, but I don't think it warped my brain too much at any rate. So anyway, we would watch her stories, as she called them. We would watch her stories with her. 
And since we didn't have the ability to watch them all year round, and since lots of stuff happens from September to June on a show that is on every single weekday, she usually had to catch us up on at least a few plot points when we would watch with her. And I am going to tell you something. When she did, it sounded ridiculous. How many scandals, secrets, lies, and deceits could go on in the small town of Springfield on Guiding Light? How many times could Victor and Nikki marry and divorce and marry and divorce on The Young and the Restless? It was crazy, and it was fascinating. And as it turns out, while it was pretty sensational and sensationalized, it was really just very human. These crazy stories were just very human. And I can't help but think of these stories like my grandmother's beloved stories, these crazy soap operas. I can't help but think of them when I think about these stories that we find in the Old Testament, like today's story about a set of brothers with a serious case of sibling rivalry going on. I mean, come on. <laughs> After I tell you the setup of this particular family, you will agree with me. The brothers that we are talking about today, first of all, there are 12 of them, and they have a sister. So there's a baker's dozen of children in this family. Their father, Israel, is also known as Jacob, and their mother, well, their mothers are Leah and her sister, Rachel, who are both Israel's wives, and some of them are the children of Zilpah and Billah, the servants of Leah and Rachel, who got involved in some sort of fertility war that the two women were having in their younger days. So yes, a dozen brothers, sons of one man, and his two wives, and their two servants. Just an average run-of-the-mill setup, right? Add to this already interesting family dynamic the fact that their father, Israel, not only had a favorite wife, Rachel, but he had a favorite son, Joseph. And he was not inclined to hide how he felt from anyone. Maybe it was because he had grown up in a home where his parents had favorites as well. But at any rate, Israel drew a circle around, highlighted, and put up a marquee pointing out how much he favored his son, Joseph. One way he did this was by giving him what the scripture describes as a long robe with sleeves, or an ornate robe, an elaborately embroidered coat, or what some of you have heard described in musicals and children's Bible stories as what? A coat of many colors. Whatever it was exactly, it was special, and it was blatant, inescapable, unavoidable. It was a sign of how much his father favored him. Now, this was all bad enough, but then Joseph had a dream that seemed to imply that he, the 12th out of 13 children, the dream seemed to imply that he would become so great that his brothers and his parents would bow down to him. Not only did he have this dream, 
But being the impetuous teenager that he was, he told everyone this dream. Yeah, this was definitely the sort of brother that conveniently gets left behind one day when the rest of the brothers leave for work. Israel, though, good old dad, he wants to see what the other brothers are doing. So he sends Joseph to go check in with them and to report back. Because, oh yeah, did I mention that's another thing Joseph was pretty good at doing? Reporting back on what his siblings were up to? Yeah, he had that going for him too. He was a bit of a tattletale. So Joseph heads out, and he doesn't find them where his father thought they would be. Convenient, right? Anyone else think that was not a coincidence, that they would go somewhere that Joseph couldn't find them when he was inevitably sent to check up on them? But luck would have it, or not, that Joseph runs into someone who does know where his brothers and the flocks are, and he finds them. But they see him coming, and they cook up a scheme to get rid of him. Now, as you can imagine, it's hard to reach consensus in large groups of people, even among 12 brothers who are all perturbed with their younger sibling. Some of the brothers are ready to out-and-out out murder him. They even have the perfect cover story ready. We'll kill him and leave him in a pit, and we'll tell Dad that a wild animal ate him. Sounds like they've been thinking about that one for a while. Fortunately, fortunately, the oldest brother, Reuben, probably knowing which one of them is going to have to answer to their father for anything that happened, Reuben convinces them not to kill him, but just to leave him. Just leave him in the pit. Reuben planned to come back and get him later, but then, while the brothers are cold-heartedly sitting by the side of the pit eating dinner, while Joseph cries for help, some traitors come by. The scripture is a little confusing here, but it seems that some traitors come by, and that puts into the brothers' heads that they could sell their brother. And then they actually do. They sell their own flesh and blood into slavery for 20 shekels of silver. There is some hint in scripture that slaves might have been worth more than this, like 30 shekels of silver if you read back in Exodus. So if you consider that, they had a fire sale for their brother. They just wanted him and his dreams gone. And off he went into slavery in Egypt. And off the brothers went with Joseph's coat, now spattered with the blood of an animal as part of their story that they would tell their father Israel. The coat, which was given to a favorite son as a gift of love, was now to be evidence of that son's brutal death. There is something disturbing about this story beyond what these brothers were willing to do with their own flesh and blood. Beyond that, what is disturbing is that God is not mentioned once. Not once. We are following this story because these people are God's chosen people. 
Israel is the name of a nation which will spring forth from this dysfunctional group of men. But God is not mentioned once. Where is he? The dream that Joseph had, probably God was in that, but the scripture doesn't even say that much. And that dream is actually what pushed the brothers over the edge with Joseph. They see him coming and say, here comes this dreamer. Let's kill him. So why would God go silent and allow this son, who seems to be chosen for something special, to be thrown into a pit and sold into slavery for a bargain price? Why would God let Israel suffer for years thinking that his favorite son was dead? Well, I don't know the answers to those questions or any of the other similarly difficult questions we find ourselves asking in our own lives today. Questions like, why did they die? Why did they abandon me? Why am I so alone? Why did I lose my best friend, my parent, my child? Why is life such a struggle? Why can't I catch just one break, Lord? Where are you, God? Don't you care? Given the things that occur to Joseph and the position that he finds himself in and the things that he does in that position afterwards, you might be tempted to say that this was God's plan all along. But that sort of logic gives me pause. It gives me pause because I think what happens to Joseph is not a matter so much of God planned it, but that God redeemed it. I'm sure of that. God did not plan it, but he redeemed it. Joseph had a dream, and his brothers interpreted it as a threat to their positions in life. And they decided that the best thing to do would be to get rid of their brother in order to prevent whatever the dream was from happening. But God is bigger than that. And as Old Testament professor Terence Fretheim put it, God works in and through even the worst that this family can perpetuate in everything, even evil. God works for good. In everything, even evil. God works for good. There are no innocents in this story of family dysfunction. Israel is raised in a home where he and his brother are each the benefactors of being the favored son of one of their parents. Israel then brings this blatant favoritism into his marriages and also into his relationship with his children. The scene is set for trouble. Add to that a few annoying character traits within the favored son, and things escalate beyond measure, beyond any sense of what is appropriate. But they escalate to the point that one day the dreamer finds himself in a pit and then in chains on the way to Egypt. And a father finds himself wearing sackcloth and mourning his favored son while he holds his bloodied coat in his hands. But the story in the Bible 
It's there in the Bible because God was still there. It's hard to see, perhaps from the pit, from the road to Egypt, from under the itchy sackcloth, but God is there. Those that encounter and work with Joseph in the years to come in Egypt will see God there, noting over and over again that the presence of the Lord is indeed with this young man. And God is still with us today, every day. He is with us in our pits, the ones someone pushed us into and the ones that we pretty much jumped into ourselves. He is with us on our roads to Egypt as we navigate the twists and turns in the journeys we make, sometimes losing our way and needing to have help to find our way back on the pavement and sometimes not even sure where it is we are heading. And God is with us in the moments when we find ourselves wearing sackcloth, holding the tattered remains of our lives, mourning our losses and asking if the world is just blackness and death and evil and hopelessness. God is always there. We just have to have our hearts tuned in to sense him when we are overloaded by our human stuff. We have to have our eyes set to look for him in the crowd. We have to have our ears open to hear him through the noise. If you are struggling in your human stuff, feeling like you are part of a bad soap opera, lost in the crowd, with hope drowned out by the noise of your life, you have come to the right place. We gather here every Sunday, not because we have it all figured out, but because we know this is a good place to start. Worshiping God, gaining perspective, remembering our blessings, allowing grace and mercy and love to wash over us as we hear the stories. Not just the stories in the Bible, but each other's stories. Stories of hands helping us out of pits, friends leading us back to the right road, arms embracing us in times of grief. So may we continue to gather together, even when, especially when, we have lost sight of God in our own lives. May we continue to gather together to encourage one another to tell God's stories of hope and salvation and transformation to each other. May we continue to gather together to focus on what God has done, is doing, and is going to do in and through us all. May we continue to gather together, helping each other to lay down our hurts, our dysfunction, our human stuff at the foot of the cross. May we continue to gather together so that we might help each other find God, and then we might go out and join God where he is at work in the world speaking a language of love and mercy and grace and compassion, kindness, forgiveness, wholeness, and healing. May we speak that language into our own lives and into the lives of others. In the power of the Spirit, in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ, that the creator of the world might be glorified in all we do and say.
Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, the stories, oh, the stories of your chosen people, they are so easy to find ourselves in. While we may not have shoved our brother or sister into the pit and sold them into slavery, Lord, we are equally guilty of favoritism and jealousy. We are equally those people who find ourselves in a pit and wonder where you are. But Lord, you are always there. You can always redeem whatever has happened in our lives through our own choice or things that happened without any of our choice. And we thank you, Lord. Help us to see you and to hear you. Help us to be you in this world. Let your light shine through our broken places. All of this we lift up to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.